Leicester Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. More farm pickups and 4x4s are on the way to Ukraine as Pickups for Peace reaches two big landmarks. Well, I'm just approaching Dortmund in Germany. The convoy of 30 pickups and four-wheel drives from the UK. Uh, there's about 55 volunteers packed full of aid, and we're heading to Ukraine. We've details of a farm safety event this week in Newark, a potato update, and some advice for getting maize away in waterlogged fields. I mean, maize... In terms of nutrition, it's very hungry for potash. It's fairly hungry for, for phosphate. It, it's a good utiliser of nitrogen, but it needs moisture. And it needs moisture and it needs phosphate all the way through its growing cycle. Plus, of course, agronomy advice, cropper market reports and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, this is the Farming Programme podcast for March the 3rd. I'm Steve Orchard. Let's start with potatoes with Colin Jackson of PJP Potatoes. Colin, old crop still sitting in waterlogged fields. That's not good. Yeah, very much, very much. I mean, we're in the the strange situation where there is still actually some crop in the ground from last season, which people are hoping to try and get out when it does dry up a little bit whether there will really be anything that's viable that comes out the ground now i don't know it's been so wet for so long that um what you normally find is if they go in and actually do lift what's there is actually decent because you know what's rotted away will have gone obviously it won't cook particularly well or fry particularly well however it'll potentially do a job so that you know there is the possibility of that um but of course by now normally we're we're well on the way with planting certainly first early potatoes, still a little bit early for the second earlies and uh, going into main crop. But first earlies, people would be looking to get in the ground now um, to get some polythene cover on them. And of course, unable to do that either at the moment. How's the market looking <laughs> then for the crop that's out of the ground? Um, yeah, pretty good. I mean, the market is relatively slow, but in a way, that's not a bad thing because at the moment, you know, prices are buoyant. Packing material is anywhere from sort of £300 uh, a tonne upwards. Best frying gear is up sort of circa £500. Although, obviously, in the short term, that's, that's very beneficial to producers. It's not actually necessarily a good thing in the long term for the trade. You know, we have seen it in the past when um, if values get too high for too long, then uh, people do go away, you know. Fish and chip shops, for instance, is now getting probably to the point where it's uh, getting hard work for them again. And we are seeing people closing the doors and finding it difficult to pay the bills as far as fish and chip shops go. So it's a bit of a uh, a tightrope to walk at the moment. All right, Colin, thank you. That's Colin Jackson from PJP Potatoes. The conflict in Ukraine continues, seemingly unabated, but the people there and the armed forces do have a lot of support from the UK farming community. We've spoken to Pickups for Peace a couple of times in the last year. Well, they're on their way to Ukraine again with a convoy of donated vehicles and equipment as they celebrate two big milestones. Let's join one of the organisers, Vince Gillingham. Good morning, Vince. Good morning, Steve. Whereabouts are you at the moment? Well, I'm just approaching Dortmund in Germany. Uh, There's a convoy of uh, 30 Pick up some four-wheel drives from, from the UK. Uh, there's about 55 volunteers uh, packed full of aid. 
and we're we're heading heading to Ukraine for our anniversary celebration, really, for the for the charity. Because I was going to say this is a year, so it's a big anniversary, an awful lot achieved, and a landmark in terms of the number of vehicles. Well, look, okay, the, the truth is, the British farming community and and broader just blown our minds with with their generosity i mean we planned to send 100 pickups and we didn't have a time scale uh, on it um that was our aim and to be honest when the founders put it together we thought that was a bit of a a stretch um but we will have delivered 300 pickups ambulances and four-wheel drives within the 12-month period and and, fantastic and and nearly nearly three million pounds worth of of aid and other bits and pieces that have gone out and uh, it's just incredible and what's really important is that the ukrainian people feel the support still and and actually we're, we're seeing even if not even more interest and growth within you know our volunteers to do more so um it's certainly not going away well it's an amazing achievement a year on as you say 300 vehicles lots and lots of other equipment as well what is this actually meaning to ukraine and to the forces where all this stuff eventually ends up our equipment is designed for humanitarian use, um, but that does include uh, recovering bodies and, and removing soldiers from the front line. You know, we had an incredible story recently as, as Ukraine uh, pulled out of Avdika, which is uh, near the near Donetsk, and, and that's been a stronghold of Ukraine since 2014. But they've they have recently lost it. I mean, Russia lost a huge number of lives trying to capture this small town. But we had feedback from soldiers and, and, and a number of groups of soldiers were saved with our pickups because they were used to get the troops out in time. And, and it's well documented what's happening at the moment. Yeah, we won't go into the sort of whys and wherefores of this. As you say, it's well documented in lots of other uh, media circles. But the reception you must be getting must be fantastic there. It, it is. I mean, they, they, they really appreciate it. They, they really need us, um, is the truth. And so uh, that's, that's, that's the key. It's, it's knowing that what you're doing and all the volunteers are doing is, is having, a, having a really direct impact on the ground. And you've got more trips planned? We have. We've got another trip in, in, in April. If anyone listening uh, wants to get involved, drivers and donating Vehicles, they're both, please, please do get in touch uh, with, with Georgia, who's our sort of head of operations in the UK, and, and another trip in June. So, yeah, we've got two more, and, and I'm sure there'll be more after that. So, you know, th- those who are interested, you know, please, please do reach out and, uh, and uh, we can sort of get you on the list to participate. Um, and it's not just, just vehicles. We've had incredibly kind donations of, of large generators. We've had them recently from a hotel in the Midlands, actually, that they had, you know, they're selling the hotel and a big generator for that. We'll put that on a we'll put that on a lorry actually and send it out. So is there anyone that's you know got something that they think would be helpful in in the effort that, that supporting Ukraine uh, or you know supporting Ukraine needs? And please do get in touch with us because we can we can get whatever it is as long as it's useful out there and um, and get it to the right people. Okay, I'll give out the contact details in a sec, Vince. But just as a reminder, in case there's anybody who doesn't know what you're doing, what kind of vehicles are you looking for? Looking for ideally pickups or four-wheel drives. They don't need to be shiny new. Typically, the pickups are 10 to 15 years old, often being devalued through the farm or, or, or business, whatever it might be. Um, we, can, we, we can take vans as well. That's another uh, thing that uh, they need um, for logistics. But that's that's really that's really what we're looking for. So if you've got an old farm four-wheel drive or pickup that, that you think could be put to very good use, 
towards the end of its life uh, in Ukraine, we will, you know, we'll get it ready um, and, uh, and we'll get it shipped out there and, and, and welcome people to join us and drive that and, and sort of join the community as we go. Fantastic. And if somebody doesn't fancy doing the drive or can't do the drive, you can get the vehicle out there for them. Absolutely. We've got a list of about 400 volunteers who, who are willing to drive for us. Um, so that, that, that will be absolutely uh, no problem uh, at all. So th- those who, rightfully, if you know, you're entering a, a war, you know, if you'd prefer just to donate, we, we will get the vehicle prepared, sprayed and serviced, and then we'll get one of our guys to uh, take it out. Brilliant, Vince, to you and all involved, to your supporters from the farming community, the volunteers, the support staff. Well done. Keep it going. Vince Gillingham, Pickups for Peace in Germany, on the way to Ukraine. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Steve. That's great. Could you help? All you need to know at pickupsforpeace.co.uk. Closer to home, Sean's got his wellies and waterproofs on again with the weekly crop report and some time the agronomy advice. Good morning to our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Yes, good morning, Steve. There really are some good people out there, aren't there? What a wonderful thing to do. So, a wet end to the week, just bits of drizzle, not really amounting to too much in volume throughout the earlier part of the week, although a millimetre in these conditions is almost as disruptive as an inch is. But we've also slid back into the realm of overnight frost and into noticeably colder single-figure days since last weekend. It was absolutely bitter with that cold drizzly blustery wind on Tuesday in particular and with this cooler weather the overnight frost and sopping wet soils all combined it means that the soil temperatures have now fallen back a couple of degrees on 10 days ago too five to five and a half degrees now more than norm and then of course we finished off the week and started the new month with another half inch of rain or so and some seriously gusty 35 40 mile, mile an hour wind so February fill dike it most certainly has been and March many weathers has come in like a lion and let's hope that's all the lioning that March does and that over the coming 28 days as March plays out we start to see that much loved and much needed March lamb return to give us a chance of getting a bit of land work done for the first time this year for many people really so nitrogen and sulphur applications the order of the day now of course oilseed rate being your priority from a sulphur point of view as much as nitrogen assuming you've still got some oilseed rate left and remember it takes between four and five weeks for the sulphur to get in to the plant it goes in through the roots and has to convert into such a form that the plant can actually use it and it's going to need that sulphur to be in place and available at the onset of stem extension now despite the inclement weather and the cooling conditions we've just mentioned the better oilseed raid crops are really starting to motor now with some of the most forward healthier crops already almost up to my knees and the buds in those bits already starting to leave the shade of the leaves and move upwards in fact even the less impressive pieces are showing rapid bud development as well So monitor these crops carefully, not least if you've still got herbicides to apply and be aware of the latest safe crops growth stage cutoff timings for clopyrrolid, picloram, bifenox, haloxifen, methyl. As I've been wandering about and driving across the county over the last seven days, it's been very noticeable just how many oilseed rape fields are really going backwards as a result of that cabbage stem flea beetle and indeed rape winter stem weevil larval infestation. So again, just be sure that you've got a viable crop that you're going to keep before you go chucking more money at it as herbicides or or fertilisers. It's not a pleasant thing to do, but it's a far less bitter pill to swallow now than after you've spent even more money in it and then decide to abandon it 
it in a month or so's time. So get out there with your agronomist and reassess these crops sooner rather than later if you're in any doubt. Light leaf spot incidents, that's increased thanks to the warmer spell a week or so ago. Prothiaconazole, my choice at the moment, particularly where no fungicide went on last autumn. It's very useful in protecting against light leaf spot spread. And remember, you can only expect protection of around three weeks at best against further spread. So be ahead of light leaf spot. It's damage limitation with that disease. So let the conditions guide you. Nitrogen and sulfur going on the winter wheat and the winter barley now too, as traveling conditions allow 70 to 80 kilos per hectare of nitrogen being applied. And cereals respond to around 50 kilos per hectare or more. Well, 50 is a minimum of sulfate, SO3. But applying more sulfate than that won't hurt the crop because of how much will have been leached through over the last 23 weeks or so. Cereal crops not really showing widespread nitrogen deficiency as yet, thankfully, but sulfur deficiency symptoms are starting to show. And as a rule of thumb, if the new growth is darker green than the paler green older leaves, it's probably nitrogen deficiency. Sulfur deficiency shows in the new leaves first. So if you're finding plants with a darker green older leaf and paler green or yellowing new growth, it's almost certainly going to be sulfur deficient. So speak to your advisor, but as soon as traveling becomes possible, I would crack on with some nitrogen and sulfur on the cereals. Yellow rust and septoria, fairly widespread, not hard to find in the wheat. So planning your fungicide strategy now by variety, drilling date, and what you're actually seeing in the field, as always, is going to be important. Too soon for fungicide. There's absolutely no place in my working week for a T minus zero. And I heard that someone had been recommended a T minus zero to be applied as soon as possible by his agronomist last week. Really? You know, that smacks of desperation to me and would certainly be of more benefit to the person advising it than it would be to the grow of the crop or the gross margin itself. There'll be a lot of snake oil salesmen out there this spring toting all sorts of products. So just be prepared for all sorts of magic elixirs, snake oils, all-round pick-me-ups to be pushed upon you. And choose your weapon very wisely and only use those products that have been backed by independent science and actual replicated trials. A bit of drier, warmer weather and an application of nitrogen and sulfur is pretty much the order of the imminent future for me and don't be told otherwise. These soils have had a hard winter to get over before they start to tackle the hard spring that clearly lies ahead. They'll have slumped, they'll have been and many still are waterlogged. There'll have been significant leaching losses to the nitrogen and sulfur levels in particular. There'll have been denitrification, damage to the soil microbiology, thanks to all of that prolonged waterlogging. So it's very important that any interventions we as agronomists make are beneficial to the crop, they're cost effective to you, and above all, they're reliable to actually tackle the issue that they're being aimed at. There are some very, very useful products out there, but it's not a one-size-fits-all business we're in. Regular field walking, constant monitoring of the crops and conditions while possibly and most importantly accepting and understanding the likely crop potential that you've got in these fields and therefore the best and the most cost effective spend. This period now up to grow stage 30 in cereals is absolutely crucial for the plant to establish their roots, their shoots, the leaves, the tillers as well as their overall biomass. So they're ready for this rapid period of bulking once that stem extension gets underway. So don't be afraid to go out and round up off the poorer areas in these wheat fields just to enable the sprayer operator to see so clearly where and when to switch off sections and therefore save spraying non-existent crop areas. I just have that feeling it's all about to set off so let's hope the lion turns into a lamb sooner rather than later and let's see what the next seven days bring. 
Thanks very much, Sean. We'll see what the weather holds for the next seven days. Get some advice for getting maize away in waterlogged fields. Hear about a farm safety event coming up this week and check the markets next. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. Supplying the region for over 40 years. This is the Farming Programme podcast. I'm Steve Orchard. So many waterlogged fields in the UK. Late planting, questionable harvests already being predicted. Can we do anything about it? We're going to focus on maize for a few minutes with some advice from TMAC Agro Technical Manager David Newton. With the rainfall we've had, it's uh, yeah, I think we are heading for one of the wettest on record. There's a lot of water to shift through the soil profile. And with some of the heavier soils, especially where you are with the, the lower lying ground, with the flatter ground, the less slopes to take that water away, it's going to take some time to get to a stage where we've got workable ground, where we've got that that sort of happy medium of enough moisture to play with, but still ground that will actually play ball and, and support life. Yeah, it's going to be some late planting and some very questionable harvests we can predict even at this stage, can't we? (laughs) Yes, the key sort of thing for me is to advise people to just try to be patient because we all know in our hearts that the damage that we cause by being impatient and trying to get on too early can cause double the problem later on in the season either through compaction or through poor seed beds or through turning seed beds over and then we get a cold dry east wind and it all bakes solid we've got twice the effort to actually break the soil down and although uh, it's it's bad at the moment the, previously when we've had bad winters or bad rainfall there's been patterns of drier weather later quite often hasn't it yes and we do seem to have have entered a phase of five or six years now we've had a really cold dry period mid-april to the end of may sometime within that we've had two weeks 10 yeah, 10 days two weeks of really quite cold bitter but very very dry weather that that high pressure that sucks the moisture out of the ground Let's talk about maize because that's why we came into this conversation initially. Um, yeah. You're saying there are some ways that growers can mitigate or manage the impacts of the weather we've had. Yes, maize is, in terms of nutrition, it's very hungry for potash. It's fairly hungry for, for phosphate. It, it's a good utiliser of nitrogen, but it needs moisture and it needs moisture and it needs phosphate all the way through its growing cycle. So getting something in the seed bed that will support that and you know where i am in the west of the country we have plentiful amounts of farmyard manure and getting that in the seed bed that that ticks a lot of boxes because it provides um, a good slow release film of phosphate it provides a lot of potash it's also excellent at conserving moisture remember you know organic matter holds 10 times more moisture than clay so if we do switch from being you know absolute monsoon to not seeing any more rain for sort of two or three months at a time which let's face it could happen getting some good organic matter into the ground will help to retain that moisture equally making sure that we've got good soil structure um down to sort of you know 30 centimeters or, or a foot in old old money 
making sure that moisture is, is available. So we've got the encouragement for roots when we do actually get things in the ground for roots to go down and find that that store of moisture that we have. So although um, we've got an awful lot too much moisture in many fields yeah. at the moment, still the crop needs that moisture when it's in the ground, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you think maize goes from from nothing to 10 feet tall in the space of about four months, that's an enormous amount of um, structure to build that is made mostly out of carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. And the hydrogen and oxygen, you know, comes from the moisture. So it does need that continual supply. Um, and it's drought stress, especially one that when the plant is up, when the you know it's it's very vulnerable to drought stress at, at drilling. It's very dr- vulnerable to it when it's about knee height as well. When you truly it really goes into that sort of motoring phase of vegetative growth, it can be quite vulnerable to to drought stress. And again, it seems crazy to be talking about drought stress again at this time of year. But the best thing you can do for that is to get some roots out and get those roots out early, which means available phosphate at drilling. It means supplying that crop with available phosphate throughout and making sure you understand the limitations of your ground in supplying that that key nutrient for root growth. So pH plays a big part in that. Any acidic ground or any alkaline ground can lock up uh, phosphate fairly quickly. So this is where organic matter can help or protected forms of phosphate um, can help with that sort of thing. So phosphate, farmyard manure in at drilling? Well, into the seedbed. So worked into the ground before before drilling, because that then gives it a chance to get your your sort of your soil biology to work on it. Um, start breaking it down, you know, start releasing some of the nutrition that's in it because in its raw state, it's it's unavailable to crops in terms of phosphate, in terms of nitrogen. Um, the potash is pretty available, but the, the the N and the P is is a bit locked away in organic form. So you need your soil biology to be working on that. Depends on the form of the manure you have. So if you have something that's quite well rotted, quite well broken down, that's good and easily worked on by bacteria. If it's coming fresh out of the barn and it's still got sawdust in it or it's still got anything that's a bit woody, straw in it, that takes some time to break down and that can need a bit more um, energy to, to break it down. So looking at making sure that your soil structure is good, you've got oxygen in there, you've got moisture in there, help that bacteria, help the fungi get onto that st- that sort of organic matter as quick as possible. So how far in advance of drilling the maize would you start putting the manure on? Uh, it's a case of when can you start travelling? You know, we can we can start, if we've got the stubbles ready, if we've got the ground there waiting, we can start going on, you know, middle of next month if we can travel without doing the damage. And get on a, a situation where we've got a lot of water, a lot of moisture in the ground, does that affect the depth of drilling? Yes, yeah. You sort of we always say to, to to follow the moisture with the seed. So if we've got you know we've got plenty of moisture in in the soil, you don't have to go too deep with the drilling. It means you can the seed will get away quicker because the surface of the soil it'd be more responsive to any sunshine that we get, warm up quicker, and the seed will start to germinate quicker. If, however, we do start to get some sort of colder, drier conditions, 
you will have to sort of start chasing the moisture down through the soil with that seed. So go go down a bit deeper. So we're talking about a difference between maybe going down 25 mil to going down 100 mil um, with with the seed. David, David Newton, Technical Manager at TMAC Agro. Thank you for joining us on the farming programme this morning. That's quite all right. You're welcome. In a moment, we'll check the markets. But first, there's a farm safety event taking place at Newark Showground this Wednesday. Starts at 9am with breakfast. Here's NFU area organiser Rhonda Thompson. That's correct. If you're one of the first 200 to register, you can get your free bacon, sorry, breakfast bap. Uh, and also have a bit of a chance to socialise with people. We've got stands there, all sorts of interesting things for uh, attendees to look at before they actually get into the sessions for the speakers. And we've got live demonstrations as well. One of the key things here is about safe working with power lines, isn't it? There's an awful lot of power lines across the countryside, uh, not just in Lincolnshire, but across the whole countryside. What's the problem uh, surrounding this? Why are we doing this session? We're doing this session because we have had fatalities in the county because of overhead power lines and machinery coming into contact with it. So it's really, really essential that that farmers and their staff attend this day so that they know what to do if they encounter overhead lines and also if they're doing any works and they encounter them underground as well. Steve, I checked the fatalities for 2023. They're 27. The rates are going up. Fatalities are going up. And I think the other thing that's really, really a worry is in the last five years, the injuries that are happening in our industry are 21 times higher than they've ever been. And the statistics are showing that 80% of the fatalities and accidents in the last five years are people aged over 45, which you know makes you think that obviously mental health and stresses and anxieties have got to um, factor in there somewhere because people are distracted. You know, we're we're covering an awful lot, um, including on-farm security, the importance of uh, using the CESAR registration system so that your kit is registered. It isn't just for a few members. It's open for all people in farming and their staff. All right. And this is Newark Showground, Wednesday, the 6th of March. Where do we go to register or to get information? So if you're not an NFU member and haven't received the link... If you go onto Google and put in Farm Safety Event Newark Showground, it will come up and you can register there. Thanks, Rhonda. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock from Mason's Rural at Louth Market, auctioneer Ed Middleton. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Steve. Uh, this week, the prime heifers all in average 267.94 pence per kilo. Numbers in very short supply this week. Buying power far outweighed cap numbers and many more needed weekly to meet buying demand. Top price this week was JC Scully of Bournemouth, topping the heifers at £1,389.96 or 288.5 pence per kilo. Moving on to the cool cows, a small entry this week with predominantly Lincoln red cows. Top price this week was DR Garner Farming of Horncastle to £1,164. That concludes the cattle. A reminder, this coming Monday is store cattle week. Uh, Moving on to uh, the sheep. This week uh, we had an SQQ of 332.77 pence per kilo and an all-in average pounds per head of a fantastic 158 pounds and 39 pence. Trade was absolutely on fire this week. Top spot was RJ Leeson of Caister at a staggering 198 pounds with their draw of 28 hogs averaging an eye-watering £193 per head. 
Uh, next week, hogs are in demand, and especially cool ewes. Please get in touch with me with entries. And that concludes the prime hogs. Onto the cool ewes. A super show of cool ewes this week with an all-in average of £133.07 with a top price of £200 for a Beltex U from AJ Colson & Sons of Market Raisin. Cool Rams topped at £172 for MA and IJ Brumby of Middle Raisin. As mentioned, uh, this coming Monday, um, hogs and cool ewes will be in high demand with the current trade, um, so please do not hesitate to get in touch with myself with entries. I'm Edward Middleton auctioneer at Louth Livestock Market. Thanks, Ed. And with a look at the grain markets and some guide prices, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Farmer protests continue across the EU, particularly in Poland, as the flood of Ukrainian grains continue to pressure the EU domestic values. The counter-argument is that if we hadn't entered the EU, it would have pressured markets elsewhere. The difference being that there is an unregulated flow of Ukrainian grain into the EU, previously protected by quotas and tariffs, particularly to Spain, previously a major consumer of EU feed grains, which has replaced and reduced the volume of Ukrainian maize sales to China, which in turn has been replaced by Brazilian maize. The volume of grain being pumped out of both Russia and the Ukraine is a major source of income, which is needed to fund the war effort. Reports suggest that China have bought 250 to 600,000 tonnes of maize in recent days and maybe some from the US, despite China professing to have produced their record maize crop. There is a certain irony, that is the US is currently discussing a multi-billion dollar payout and aid package for the Ukraine, who are selling cheap maize to China at the expense of the US maize. Weather issues are beginning to gain traction as we move from El Nino to La Nina with concerns that North and South America, Asia, Australia, Europe, Russia and North and South Africa with some extreme weather swings. For now though, the markets do appear unconcerned. So looking at barley this week, malting barley markets have fallen significantly in the last two weeks driven mostly by the lower grains complex and the poor export demand. Weather has dominated the spring barley markets recently, not only in the UK but also on the continent. Southwest France, for example, is traditionally an early drilled and early harvested. This year, we are told that they are 35% drilled due to wet weather. If we replicated this in the UK, we would be optimistic on light land, suggesting that we would be 25% drilled. But heavy land growers are still two to three weeks away from even getting the drill out the shed. Oil seed rape, Matif rapeseed markets continue to struggle to find a real bullish story to create the significant support that we would be needed to drag the price back towards the highs. As a result, we have spent the last week trading relatively flat at the bottom of the recent range. It appears that short term, trade is happy to be range bound around 410 on the May for the time being. One of the biggest current influences of that is the favourable harvesting weather in Brazil for soybeans. The crop is coming in at a pace which is flooding the export market, meaning that Brazil bean offers are still at a discount to US. In fact, they've been importing Brazilian beans themselves due to the significant discount. Also, the crop is seemingly better quality than many had assumed following some of the challenging weather that they have seen through the growing season. So moving on to prices this week, feed wheat for March is 158 to 165, May 160 to 168, August new crop 162 to 172, November 172 to 182. Old crop milling wheat premiums for the very best samples are £65. Feed barley 133 to 140 for March, May 135 to 145. August new crop 136 to 146 and November 150 to 160. Malting barley premiums, please speak to your open field farm business manager. And lastly, oilseed rape, old crop only, March 320 to 330 and May 322 to 332. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. 
five-day forecast. A more settled week after some heavy rain this morning. A chilly week with daytime highs of 7 or 8 Celsius and overnight lows down to freezing point. Mostly light and variable winds under cloudy skies, bringing a little bit of rain, but pretty drizzly where it does happen. Right, I'm out and about, mostly around Lincolnshire this week, Metheringham for tractors into schools on Tuesday, Doddington Hall for breakfast with Savills on Thursday, and of course Stonely for the Low Carbon Ag Show on Wednesday. Reports next Sunday, maybe see you at one of those? Let me know. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.